0: But this afternoon, our attention will be turned to Proverbs chapter 8. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 8, and this chapter is a pretty lengthy one, so we're going to take it in two parts. We'll read the whole chapter, but today we'll be focusing on verses 1 to 21. 1 to 21. And this chapter is about wisdom personified. Wisdom personified in the person of Christ. So this is Christ speaking of who he is and the wisdom that he possesses. And this is the wisdom that we need, the very mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ to lead and guide us into all things. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 1. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On the top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. "'Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, "'at the entrance of the doors, she cries out, "'To you, O men, I call, "'and my voice is to the sons of men. "'O naive ones, understand prudence, "'and, O fools, understand wisdom. "'Listen, for I will speak noble things, "'and the opening of my lips will reveal right things, "'for my mouth will utter truth, "'and wickedness is an abomination to my lips.'" All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choiceless gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold. And my yield better than choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice. To endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water will not transgress his command." When he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth and having my delight in the sons of men. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Let's pray. Father, we know that you possess all wisdom, all wisdom, understanding, knowledge, Lord, all of it belongs to you, that there is no wisdom, no true wisdom, that does not proceed and come from you. Not that there are not many claims to wisdom. We have many people in our own day who claim to be wise, who claim to have understanding. But Lord, we know that what they claim is not true that what comes from their mouth and their own mind is foolishness. It is perverted. It is deceitful. Father, we pray that our minds would be subjected to your wisdom, the wisdom that we receive from you in the person of Jesus Christ, who has become for us righteousness and wisdom. Lord, that our mind would be conformed to his mind, That our life would be conformed to his life. And that this might be wisdom for us. So, Lord, give us this conviction, Lord. Give us your wisdom and understanding that we might walk in the ways that are pleasing to you. Lord, doing those things that are right in your eyes, but not right in our own. Lord, that's what we desire, Lord, is to know your will and your way so that what we perceive is what you perceive. And, Lord, what we declare to be true and right is what you declare. Then we will have true wisdom. So, Lord, teach us this and help us to see and understand that we, the only means of access, Lord, to this wisdom is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we would look for no one else, Lord, no other source but the person and work of Christ. So, Lord, teach us today from him and from his word. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, this chapter is, again, wisdom is speaking as a person, as a person in the first person, commending how great is the one who obtains this wisdom. How great wisdom is and how great it is and beneficial it is for those who obtain it, for those who listen and gain access and understanding from the wisdom of God. And again, we have said that this is Christ speaking. Christ is the one proclaiming this because how can this be true of anyone other than Jesus Christ, right? And how can wisdom, if it's something that is uh, non-personal, it's something that doesn't have a personhood, how can it be portrayed in this way? And we know that in Christ is found all the wisdom of God. It is found in him, and the way that we obtain God's wisdom is through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ. And that is why we say that Proverbs chapter 8 is Jesus speaking, telling us to listen to his word, the words of Christ. We call the Bible the word of God, the word of the Lord, many different titles, but one of the ones that we use and rightly we use is to call it the word of Christ because it is his word that comes to us from Jesus Christ. Because we know from John 1 18 that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has revealed him. This is why it is the word of Christ. He is called the word of God in John chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and this is the same as what we have here in Proverbs chapter 8 in terms of wisdom. Wisdom is the word of God, who is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're dealing here with issues of eternal life and death. That's what it states at the end of chapter 8, that the one who listens to wisdom, who listens to Christ, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but the one who sins against Christ injures himself, and all those who hate Christ love death. Everyone who hates the wisdom of Christ loves death and will be destroyed because of his own pride and arrogance. So here, wisdom is commended to us that we should seek it with all of our heart and soul, and that if we seek it, truly, we will find it, and we will receive the blessing of God from the wisdom of Christ. So let's begin there in verse 1, and today we will go to verse 21. 1 to 21, verse 1 says, Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice? Here, wisdom is calling, wisdom is crying out, understanding is lifting up its voice. So the wisdom of God is not concealed in dark, dingy corners, but rather it is being proclaimed in the world through the word of Christ. As the word of Christ is being proclaimed, as the ministers of God, the messengers of God are going out, whether that be the minister like myself who gets up and who weekly is teaching and preaching the word of God in public settings like this, or whether that be The servants of Christ who are going here and there, to and fro, to their jobs, to their school, to their family, wherever they are at, and they're speaking of the word of God, is not wisdom calling out to people? Isn't the understanding of God lifting up her voice through the preaching and teaching of the word of God? It says in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, Verses 1 to 9. It says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she is received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answers, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. This is what wisdom is doing, crying out to the people, crying out in the world, telling people... The will of God, the word of God, what God declares, his judgments concerning all things. And in every generation, God has had his messengers, whether that be the holy prophets of the Old Testament, the holy apostles of the New Testament, or those who now take the word, the apostles and the prophets, and are preaching and teaching the word of God out in the world. God always has his messengers, and what are they doing? They're crying out to people, calling out to them to listen to the word of God. Listen to what God says. Don't trust your own perceptions. Don't trust your own ideas, your own inventions, but listen to the word of God and it will make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The whole purpose of God giving to us, revealing to us his wisdom is that we might know it that it might be proclaimed, that it might be taught so that we might be acquainted with the will of God. So God's wisdom is not hidden from men, but it has been published in the world. And we don't need some secret code, the Da Vinci Code, or any other code, or some secret hidden knowledge. We don't need some man to go up on the mountain by himself and receive some new revelation from God. We don't need some so-called prophet to go out into the wilderness to smoke marijuana and come back and tell us what God said to him. All we need is what? The Bible, the Holy Bible. Go to the word of God and the word of God is lifting up its voice to us to give us wisdom and understanding. All that is lacking is faith. We have to believe it. We have to believe the word of God. But it's here, it's right here before us and it is calling out to us that we might know and understand the will of God. Verse two, on the top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. Here, wisdom is crying out in open, in broad daylight, right? Wisdom has nothing to be ashamed of. No need to hide in darkness, in secret places, to whisper in the dark. Right, this in contrast to what we read last week of the harlot and the way that she behaved. She's in the darkness. She's seizing the man. She's there going in secret, secluded places, doing the things that she's doing. But does wisdom need to do this? Do we need to be ashamed of what the Word of God says? No, never. We should never be ashamed to proclaim God's Word in whatever situation or whatever setting we find ourselves whether we're on top of the mountain, beside the gate, on the path, but when the way, wherever it is that we have an occasion to proclaim the word of God or to hear the word of God, we should never be ashamed of what the word of God says. Actually, Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of him and his word, he will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. Again, the person of Christ and the word of Christ are bound together. To be ashamed of the word of Christ is to be ashamed of Christ himself. And if we are ashamed of his word, he will be ashamed of us. So we have no reason to be ashamed. But rather, according to Matthew chapter 10, what we hear in secret, we should proclaim from the rooftops. Again, not that Christ is ashamed of the word of God but again Matthew 10 27 what we hear and see in a private setting like what we're doing right here right we're all gathered together we're all of like mind hopefully Lord willing we all have a desire to know the word of God right we speak openly and freely here we're not ashamed to say these things well what we hear here should we be ashamed to repeat these things when we go to our workplace when we're with our family when we go out into the world, no. What we hear here, then we should shout it from the rooftops and tell everyone this is the will of God. Matthew ten twenty seven. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. This is the way that we should be. We should be proclaiming the word of God. Verse four and five. To you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence. And O fools, understand wisdom. Who is wisdom calling out to? Who has God given the Bible for? For whose benefit? Is God doing this because he's forgetful and he wants to have a record for his own mind of of what he thinks on these various topics? God, of course not. So why is God giving us the Bible? Why is he publishing and revealing the word of Christ to us, for whose benefit? It's for our benefit, for the benefit of men. He's calling out to mankind. You need to listen to me. My voice is for the sons of men. If we go to Hebrews chapter two, there we are reminded that Christ came not for the benefit of angels meaning not for the benefit of fallen angels. Hebrews two fourteen to 16. Hebrews two fourteen to 16, we read earlier, we'll read it again. It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. He does not help angels, meaning Christ did not come to die on the cross for the angels so that they might be forgiven of their sins and that they might go and have eternal life with God. The angels, the fallen angels are going to die in their sin and they're all going to go to the lake of fire. And Christ did not come for them nor was the word of God published so that the fallen angels might believe in Christ and be redeemed of their sin. He didn't come to help them. Well, who is the word of God given for? It's for us, for men, so that we might have wisdom. It is only to men, namely to the elect, that God gives redemption. He doesn't give it to the wicked, and he does not give it to the fallen angels, only to men. But what men are going to benefit from this wisdom? Well, only those who are naive and foolish. He says there, naive ones understand prudence and, oh fools, understand wisdom. We have to come to this realization that in our own wisdom, in our own natural carnal understanding of the world, of ourselves, of sin, of salvation, of whatever it is that we're dealing with, We are stupid, we are foolish, we are naive, we don't know up from down. Actually, everything is backwards with us in our own natural, corrupt, carnal understanding. And in order for a person to obtain wisdom from God, he must first see and realize and admit that he is a fool, that he doesn't understand anything, and that only God can give him wisdom. And he must go to God with humility begging God to make him wise. And this is why he's calling out to naive ones, to fools, right? Now, those who are wise in their own mind and shrewd in their own understanding, well, they'll they'll say, oh, I'm not naive. I'm not a fool. I don't need to listen to you. Why would I listen to you when I can listen to myself? It's only those who understand this, who come to this conclusion, who see themselves the way that God sees them. And this is what we must admit about ourselves. Not only for our conversion, for our salvation, but also throughout the remainder of our life. This continues to be true of us in our own natural understanding. Anything that comes from us is foolishness, it is naivety, it is simplicity, it is not sophistication in the sight of God, but it is, will lead us to hell. We have to believe this and not trust our own understanding. Then if we don't trust our own understanding, we're going to subject all of our ways to him. We're going to want to know, what does God have to say about this? Right? I don't care what I think, and I don't care what other people think. I just want to know, what does God say about this? Because that is where I want my wisdom to come from. Romans 1, 18 to 23. <clears throat> Romans 1, 18 to 23. Says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling things. There he says that men are futile in their speculations. Their speculations about God, about mankind, about sin, about salvation, about righteousness and how we should live, about the life to come, about heaven, about hell. Aren't people speculating about these things all the time? Aren't they telling us their opinions, their ideas about all of these topics and many more topics that the Bible addresses? Well, when they are speculating, it's futile. It's of no value. It's of no benefit at all. And their foolish hearts are darkened. They are fools, they have darkness within them, and whatever they say is in accordance with darkness. It's not true, it's not right, all of it is wrong. They profess to be wise, but in reality, they are fools. Well, that's why he's addressing it to fools, because in our natural state, this is true of all of us. All of us are fools, and we must come to that conclusion before we can obtain true wisdom that comes from God. Also, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. So no one understands God naturally. No one seeks for God naturally. Though people would protest and say, No, no, many people are seeking for God. Look at all the religions of the world. They're all worshiping God. They're all seeking God, but they're not truly seeking him. They're seeking him according to their own speculations, to their own wisdom, to their own ideas, to their own understanding, but they're not seeking him according to his word. They actually reject the word of God in order to have their own understanding. Verse six, listen, for I will speak noble things and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterance of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. There, he commends this wisdom, the content of it. What is it like, right? What is the wisdom of Christ found in the word of Christ What is this described as here? Well, he calls it noble, he calls it right, he calls it true, righteousness, straightforward. There's no wickedness in it, there's nothing crooked, and there's nothing perverted in the word of God. Everything the word of God commends to us is pure, it is holy, it is righteous, it is true, and it will never lead us astray, and it will never never lead us to ruin and destruction. Now, the Bible does speak of perverted people and perverted deeds, evil deeds. But when it's speaking of these things, it's telling us of those things and the judgment of God against it. And it's telling us that we shouldn't do that, but instead we ought to live upright and holy lives. Psalm Psalm 119, verse 130. 119, says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, to the simple. So this is what the word of God has for us. Noble things, right things, truth, righteousness, nothing crooked, nothing perverted, no wickedness, no abomination in the word of God. Everything is straightforward and right and true in the sight of God. So can we ever go wrong with the Bible? It's impossible. It's impossible for us to believe and to adopt as our values, our way of life, what is in the Bible, and for us to ever go astray. We will always be doing what is right in the sight of God. Now, will we be doing what's right in the sight of men? No. They will condemn us. They will ridicule us. They will say, no, no, this isn't good. This isn't right. This is wrong with the things that you're promoting and the things that you're saying. But no matter where we come in the Bible, if what the Bible says, that's what we believe and what we practice, we're never gonna go wrong. We'll always be on the straight and the proper way, no matter what men might say. And they will condemn parts, if not all, of the Bible, of what it teaches. But whatever the Bible says is noble, it is right, it is true, even those things that men find particularly offensive today such as the way the Bible describes sodomy, adultery, these kinds of sins that are prevalent in our society that are being paraded about and celebrated within our society, transgenderism, which isn't even really a word, uh, these types of people and the things that they do, the perversions that they are, the way the Bible speaks about them. Is the Bible noble in the way that it addresses these sins? Is it true? Is it righteous? Is it straightforward? Of course it is. And what they say, which contradicts the Bible, is perverted, is an abomination, is crooked. And we shouldn't listen to them, even though it may sound very appealing and be very appealing to the ears and to our own flesh. We have to reject the flesh and do what the word of God says. So this is the way it will be. It is all of these things, but for who? For whom is the Bible noble, right, true, righteous, straightforward? Well, he says in verse 9, to him who understands and to those who find knowledge. Not everyone is going to read the Bible and hear what the Bible says and say, oh, that's a very noble truth. You know, that is right. That is true. I do agree with that. Many of them will hear what the Bible says and they'll hate it. It'll be abhorrent to them. They'll say, and I've heard people say that before, I could never worship of God who would commit genocide against a whole group of people like the Canaanites. I could never worship a God like the God of the Bible who, is, uh, who hates women, right? And, and promotes the patriarchy, right? And it's all about men. People say these types of stupid things outwardly, right? With their own mouth. In, in broad daylight, they'll say these things. They believe that. Well, if they say that, it shows that they don't have understanding. They don't have knowledge. They don't have true knowledge because they're depending on their own perceptions against the Bible. Even this week, I was told that we we studied Matthew 15 on Wednesday night. And in Matthew 15, when Jesus is addressing the Syrophoenician woman, he says it's not right to take what belongs to the children and give it to dogs. And he's addressing her, calling her a dog, right, in that context, in terms of what she is as a Canaanite. And a person said that this passage proves that the Bible is not inerrant because there's no way that Jesus would ever call someone a dog in that way. And they use this understanding, right? Their standard is that Jesus would never say this, and then they use it to say that the Bible has errors. Well, because they don't understand what Jesus is doing there in the proper context and understanding of that passage. This is how far people will go in their rejection of the word of God, but not the righteous. Those who have understanding and wisdom, they are the ones who will see the Bible as noble. They will see the Bible as righteous and true and good, but not everyone, only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Jeremiah chapter 6, we have an example here of people who hear the word of God But they don't want it. They don't want it. They're even so bold as to say to God, to his face, we're not going to listen to what you have to say. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. So there, the ancient paths are being proclaimed to them, right? The trumpet, the watchman is tooting on the trumpet for them. This is the prophet of God, Jeremiah, who's telling them the will of God, who's revealing to them the word of God. But even though they hear it, they say, we're not going to listen. We don't like it. We don't want to know what God says. We don't want you to tell us what the word of God says. They despise the word of the Lord because they do not have understanding. They don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. Look at the difference in contrast in Acts 17. Acts 17 verses 11 and 12 Acts 17, let's actually read verses 10 to 12. Actually, we'll just read 10 to 15 because all of this goes together. <laughs> Acts 17:10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica find out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So there, these Jews in Berea were noble-minded because they received the word with eagerness, and they were examining the scriptures to see if these things were so. And as a result, many of them believed. But then these others in Thessalonica, they hear the same word of God, and they're causing or agitating the crowd and stirring up riots against it. Well, what's the difference between the one and the other? That's the same as it says here in Proverbs 8 verse 9. They're straightforward to him who understands and right." to those who find knowledge. Only those who understand will receive the word of God. Only those who find knowledge will say, yes, this is true, this is right, amen and amen, praise the Lord. But those who don't understand and who don't find knowledge, they're going to resist it and kick against it. And who has to give this understanding? Only God can. Only God can, and he only gives it to those whom he chooses. Verse 10, take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare to her. How valuable is wisdom? How valuable should it be to us? Well, it should be more valuable than silver and gold and jewels and any desirable thing in this world, anything that we would desire for wealth, for riches, for comfort, for pleasure in life, whatever it is, even those things that are lawful in the right context, we should desire the wisdom of God even more than these. Certainly there is a place in this life for a man to work, for him to store up wealth for himself, to provide for his family in those things. But should that take precedent over the word of God? Should he neglect his soul? and the hearing and studying of the word of God for the sake of money? No, because if he does, he shows he's not aligned right in his priorities. His mind is not properly oriented on the things of God. Rather, we should say that wisdom, the word of God, is more valuable to me than silver, than gold, than precious jewels, than money, than any treasure that we can have in this life. And why is the word of God so valuable? Because it's dealing with eternal issues, issues of eternal life and eternal death. Silver, gold, jewels, anything desirable for this life, they can only be used now in this present world, but we do not take those things with us into the life to come. We come into the world naked and we leave naked. We come with nothing. We depart with nothing. But the things we gain from the word of God, those have benefit not only for this life, but also for the life to come. They prepare us for the life to come, for eternal life so that we are reconciled to God and we're prepared to stand before him on the day of judgment. This is why they are more valuable than anything in this world. And this is the way that we have to look at the Bible. The Bible must be this desirable to us. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Wisdom possesses prudence, knowledge, discretion, right? Wisdom gives us the ability, when we have the wisdom of God, we gain discernment, we have discretion, we know how to live prudently in this life so that we're able to navigate all the various obstacles of life, the various ordeals and situations that we encounter day in and day out, and we know how to respond to those things because we have the wisdom of God. We know what to do, like in chapter 7. When the harlot comes and is trying to seduce us, we will have prudence, understanding, discretion, and we will know that I need to run away from this woman, like righteous Joseph does in Genesis chapter 39. He had discretion. He had wisdom. He had prudence. He had knowledge, so he knew how to live faithfully before God in this present world. This is what wisdom equips us to do, how to live a life pleasing to God and face all of the situations that we might face in life, all the temptations, the trials, the troubles that we will face in this life that cause many men to stumble to their ruin and destruction. And if we have the wisdom of God found in the word of God, discernment, then we will know how to navigate this life how to go through it and to do those things that are pleasing to God. And Jesus Christ is himself this wisdom of God. I, wisdom, Jesus Christ is wisdom. He possessed wisdom, prudence, knowledge, and discretion. When we read the life of Christ in the Gospels, didn't Jesus know how to handle every situation? He was able to look at life To look and deal with all of these situations, all of these people, everything that's going on, and make proper judgments so that the way he responded, the way he thought about this, the way he spoke about this, the way he acted in this situation was according to the will of God. In all things, he had this type of prudence and this type of knowledge. And when we submit our mind to his mind, found in the Holy Bible, then we'll have the same ability, the same ability. Not, again, to the measure of Christ, of course, because of who his person is, but we will, in many ways, be able to live the faithful life of Christ. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in the word of God. All that is lacking is our knowledge and understanding of it. John 1, 1 1-4. John 1, 1 1-4 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So he is the word of God, or the wisdom of God. With God in the beginning, he was God. He is the very wisdom of God revealed to us in his person. And the way he lived is the way that we ought to live. The way he responded to sin and sinners in all these situations is the way that we ought to respond as well. And Jesus was exercising this wisdom even from an early age. Remember when he was 12 and he went and was there at the temple and he was conversing and debating there with the scholars there in the temple? And they were amazed at the wisdom and understanding that he had. And then we know throughout his life, whenever he encountered his objectors, his enemies, who sought to undermine him, to trip him up, they would always bring these questions. Eventually, it got to the point where it says that no one dared ask him any more questions. Because every time he did, they did, he was able to answer from the word of God. And he had a wisdom, a spirit, a mouth that none of his enemies could overcome. And this is what he'll do for us as well. He will give us a spirit and a tongue, a wisdom that none of our enemies can overcome if we are setting our mind on the word of God. That's why whenever people challenge us or whenever they seek to undermine and contradict the Bible, we need to be ready to give an answer, not from our own mind. We shouldn't say, well, I think this, or if this is my opinion, but open the Bible and read from the Bible. And that's what will confound them because that's the wisdom of Christ. And they can't answer Christ. They cannot contradict him. 1 Corinthians one twenty-four. One twenty-four says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is both the power and the wisdom of God. Then also Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Colossians 2.1 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, and having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not hidden from us because we have the Bible but hidden from the world because they do not submit their mind to the mind of Christ. It's been revealed to us in his person and in his work, in his holy word. Verse 13 to 14. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding power is mine. Here, he states, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And we know from Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That this is the beginning of wisdom is having the fear of the Lord. Well, how does he define the fear of the Lord here? Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. This is the same as we read earlier in Psalm 119. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your word. Fear of the Lord is love for God's word, a receiving and believing the wisdom of God, and then hatred for everything that contradicts God. Isn't that what evil is? Anything that is in opposition to God. God is good, God is goodness, and anything that is contrary to God is evil. Well, we should love God, we should love whatever God says, and whatever is contrary to God we should hate and despise. And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Can someone be a Christian without hating evil? It's impossible. You cannot be a Christian without the fear of the Lord, and you cannot have the fear of the Lord without hatred of evil. And here, evil is defined as pride and arrogance, the evil way, the perverted mouth. The pride of man, the arrogance of man, The evil ways that he promotes. His perverted mouth. This is his evil. This is his sin. This is what is in opposition to God. Certainly the devil is in opposition to God, and the devil is the one who is inspiring wicked men to do these things. But here it is perverted, evil men who in their pride and arrogance will exalt their own wisdom and understanding above the wisdom of God. Isn't this what people generally believe? That they are the source and fount of all wisdom and that they know better than everyone else. They know better than God. And if we would all listen to them, to this person or that person, then it would all be better for us. That we should listen to them on every situation. But if what they're saying is not consistent with the Bible, then isn't that pride? If what they are teaching contradicts the Bible... If they say, well, no, God is just a God of love. And he loves all men and everyone's gonna make it to heaven. And hell is just uh, having bad thoughts, bad thoughts about yourself, low self-esteem. Because there are people who say this. Well, on whose authority do they make such statements? Their own authority, not the word of God. Isn't that pride? Because they're elevating their own authority, their own thoughts and mind above the word of God. And then when they speak these things and promote this evil way that they have invented, then they have a perverted mouth. Because what's coming out of their mouth is a perversion of the truth. It's not true. They say things like love and grace, God, Jesus, salvation, heaven, hell, eternal life, whatever. They say all these things, but the way they define them is not consistent with the Bible. It's a perversion and it comes from their pride and arrogance and their promoting of false ways. So here it is the wisdom of Christ in opposition to the wisdom of man. It is heavenly wisdom in opposition of earthly wisdom. It is the wisdom of God in opposition to demonic, satanic wisdom. This is how we have to look at it in these black and white terms. In whatever is contrary to the Bible that does not originate in the Bible, we have to see it as evil, demonic, Detestable. We have to hate it because we fear God and we want to know what God says. And anyone who would dare contradict him, we don't want anything to do with that. He says, counsel is mine, sound wisdom. I am understanding, power is mine. All of these belong to Christ and to his word. And these are not found in the philosophies and in the religions of men. Man-made religion." man-made philosophy, all of those things are devoid of counsel, sound wisdom, and understanding, and there's no power in those. Can false religions save us from our sins? Can they lead us to eternal life? Will they give us resurrection from the dead in the good sense, in the sense of going to heaven? No. They are completely useless of any power to save people from sin, so we should reject them, but can the wisdom of God... Give us the forgiveness of sins. Can it lead to eternal life? Yes. So we should go to the Bible and to the Bible only. 15 and 16. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles. All who judge rightly. All the execution and promotion of true justice and righteousness on the earth that is according to the wisdom of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. When kings reign, when they rule, and what they are promoting in the land and society is good and consistent with the word of God, the source of that wisdom is ultimately Christ. It is ultimately Christ and it is a benefit to everyone. Whether that is a true believer who is the king, who is reading the Bible and wanting to know what does the Bible say, What does Christ say about this sin and that sin, about how to punish this and how to punish that, what we should do here and there? There are true believers who are Christians and who are wanting to rule and reign and institute laws and policies in society consistent with the word of God. And when they do that, it's beneficial to everyone. And when they do, they are ruling by Christ. By Christ, by his wisdom, they are reigning. An example of this would be 2 Kings 23, 2 Kings 23 and verse 24, 2 Kings 23, 24, 2 Kings 23, 24, Kings 23, 24 says, moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law that were written in the book of Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So there Josiah reigned and ruled over the land with the wisdom of Christ because he was going to the law of Moses, which isn't Moses' law, right? It is the law of Moses in that Moses was the intermediary who delivered it to the people, but who did the law originate with? Who gave it to Moses? Christ. It's the law of Christ. So the law of Christ given to Moses was the law that Josiah consulted, and then by this law, he ruled over the land with the result that he did good in the sight of God. And it was beneficial to everyone, to the land. And that's what we should desire in our own country as well. So this can be the case that a true believer using the Bible executes true justice and righteousness in the land under the wisdom of Christ. Also, it can be true of an unbeliever who has some knowledge and some understanding of justice and righteousness that comes from some interaction with the word of God. An example of this would be 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings 10, 28 to 31. Jehu is a king. He's not Josiah. He's not a true believer. Yet Jehu did do good things in the land in terms of justice and righteousness Because of the word of God. 2 Kings ten twenty eight says, Thus Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. However, as far as the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart, even the golden calves that were at Bethel and that were at Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord of the God of Israel with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. So was it good that Jehu eradicated the worship of Baal in Israel? Yes, that's a very good thing. Is it better to have Baal worship or to not have Baal worship? Well, it's better for it to not be there. And that's why God says that you've done well. You've done well in this one area. You eradicated the worship of Baal and you executed the house of Ahab, which was right. That's what deserved to happen to them because of their sin. And this was from interaction with the prophets and with the word of God, what God told him to do. But his heart was not completely right and true. In these other areas, he failed and he did not do what was right in the sight of God. And this might happen today as well. Even an unbelieving ruler, a president, a senator, a representative, who has some nominal understanding of Christianity of the Bible, will incorporate some of its righteousness into his thinking whenever they're making policies and laws throughout the land. And when this happens, Christ is reigning, in a sense, through them. Though not perfectly like it was with Josiah, or in a better way like Josiah, but in this imperfect partial way like it was with Jehu. Or then one other example would be even unbelievers who don't have access to the Bible, but through natural law will still promote some laws that are consistent with the law of God. This would be Romans 2, 14 to 15. Even in pagan lands where there are are unbelievers and they don't have access or any consideration for the word of God, even there, there will still be some semblance of justice and righteousness because of natural law. And when those rulers promote justice and righteousness from natural law, they're doing it under the authority of Christ. Romans 2, 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, alternatively accusing or else defending them. So there, they don't have the law, but they instinctively do what the law requires, because it's written on their hearts. It's not so extinguished that there isn't any semblance of the law of God in the land. And an example of this would be Acts chapter 25, in verses 15 and 16. Acts 25, actually verses 14 to 16, says, While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So there, this custom of the Romans was that if somebody accused a man of some sin, some crime, that it was not right for that accused man to not have the opportunity to make his defense against his accusers, for him to be able to cross-examine them and show whether or not he's guilty or he's innocent. So why did, how did the Romans know this? Where did they get this wisdom and this custom and this understanding and knowledge? Well, that's Romans 2:14 to 15 that they instinctively do what the law requires. The law itself requires the uh, justification of the innocent and the condemnation of the wicked, and that it should be done according to truth and righteousness. Okay, but all do not do this. Right? All do not do this. There are some who do not judge rightly, According to verse 16, it's only when they judge in accordance to the word of God, whether that be with all of their heart, like Josiah, or whether that be partially in some areas, only then will they do what is right. But whenever the prince or the ruler contradicts the Bible and promotes laws and policies contrary to the Bible, then they're not decreeing what is right. And they're not judging the sons of men uprightly and justly. And then God will, according to Psalm 58, God will destroy them. 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Christ loves those who love him. Now here, he's not speaking of how it is that we come to love him. We know from 1 John that we love him because he first loved us. But then our love for him is proof of his love for us. Right, that we love him because he first loved us, but when we love him, he loves us more and more. It shows and proves that we have the love of God within us. Well, if we love the wisdom of Christ, then Christ's wisdom will love us. He will love us. We will diligently seek his wisdom and we will find it if this is what we desire and this is what we are searching for. As it says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives graciously without reproach. 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than the choicest silver. Here, he states that riches and honor belong to Christ. Enduring wealth and righteousness, these belong to him. They are his possession And then he gives this to whomever he pleases, to those that love him, to those that belong to him. And the riches he's speaking of here are the eternal riches, the eternal riches of salvation, of eternal life with God forever and ever. That's what has to be on his mind primarily, primarily. Now, certainly God can give earthly riches if he wants. He can give that blessing to men, but it's not guaranteed. But in terms of eternal riches, it is guaranteed to all who believe. Everyone who seeks the wisdom of Christ will receive eternal riches from him. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12 and verse 21. Luke 12, 21 says, So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Then also, verse 33 Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes, nor does moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is the treasure that Christ gives the eternal treasures, the eternal riches. That's where we should store up our treasure. Not on this earth, but we should be laboring for the kingdom of God, laboring for the life to come. Not seeking the food that perishes, but the food that will result and lead to eternal life. And that's why he says, the fruit of wisdom is better than gold. The yield from wisdom is better than silver because it leads to eternal riches. The eternal riches of eternal life with God. Then also verses 20 and 21 it says, I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may feel their treasuries. Christ walks in the way of righteousness in the path of justice. We know that Christ did not sin. No sin was found in him at all. No sin on his lips, no sin in his life, no sin in his mind. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He was a pure, spotless lamb of God. He always did what was right and pleasing in the sight of God. This is the way that he walked. And it is his righteousness that becomes our source of eternal salvation. It is through his righteousness that we become righteous. This is why he endows those who love him with wealth. He gives us this righteousness, which makes us very wealthy, very rich in terms of rich before God, rich in the sight of God. We must be rich in faith towards Christ. And this is how he fills us with his treasury. Isaiah 35, verses eight to 10 35 8 says a highway will be there a roadway and it will be called the highway of holiness the unclean will not travel on it but it will be for him who walks that way and fools will not wander on it no lion will be there nor will there be any vicious beast go up on it these will not be found there but the redeemed will walk there and the ransom of the lord will return and come with joy shouting to zion with everlasting joy upon their heads They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the pathway of Christ, the highway of holiness. No unclean person will travel on this highway. It will only be for those who are redeemed. No fools will be there, and there will be nothing there to destroy us. No lion, no vicious beast, none of those will be there, but only the redeemed will walk therein. And this is the way that Christ walked. And this is what he calls us to walk according to as well, this highway of holiness. And then he gives us his wealth, his wealth, which is the spiritual riches we have in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It says in Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Christ is the one who gives all of these blessings to us. And they are ours through faith in him. Only if we believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we have to live the way that he lived. Live a perfect, live a a godly life the way that he lived. And turn away from sin. This is the path of wisdom. And this is the way that Christ calls us to walk. So may it be true of us. May we desire to walk in the highway of holiness, to hate sin, to hate our own pride and arrogance, to reject anything that comes from our own mind and imagination and submit everything that we do to the wisdom of Christ found in the word of Christ. This is the Christian life. This is the way that we live it is by living it according to the word of God. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So may that be true of each and every one of us. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you that, Lord, you have given to us your wisdom that is found in your word. And Lord, we pray that we would judge all things, Lord, by your word. Lord, that we would leave nothing to our own speculations. Lord, knowing that our speculations are futile, Lord, our foolish minds are darkened in their own understanding. That the only way that we can have light and understanding and life is by submitting to your word. And so, Father, I pray that we would have this conviction, Lord, that we would see that we are naive, Lord, that we are fools on our own, and only you can make us wise unto salvation. Lord, may we love every word that comes from you. Lord, may we see it as noble and true and righteous and straight. Lord, that it is good for us. And Lord, may we never subject your word to our own opinions and Lord, to our own judgments. So Lord, help us to have a proper humility. Lord, that your word would be over us and that our life would be subjected to you and that we would never stand in opposition And in haughty pride over your word and that we would not be its judges, Lord, to determine what is good and right. For, Lord, how can we who are evil, Lord, make any judgment concerning you? Lord, how could we ever think that we could stand above the judge of heaven and earth? So, Lord, teach us our proper place, that we are mere men, that, Lord, your word has been given Lord, to make us wise, to give us understanding, and that every single word must be received by us and nothing must be rejected. So, Lord, give us this attitude and this view. And, Lord, we pray that we would walk according to your wisdom. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.